Hi everyone, we continue our read-through of the New Testament. And today we are in John chapter 11, this very important chapter of John. Because in it we see the miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, which is the climax of all of the preceding signs that have revealed God's glory through Jesus. Here, death itself, the final enemy of humanity, is successfully confronted by the one who is himself the resurrection and the life. Yet as all the other signs, this glorious sign will divide those who witness, those who believe Jesus, and those who don't. With that being said, let's go ahead and read through it, and we'll take it section by section. So let's go ahead and open up with this first section. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with an ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not on him. After saying the things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Let's stop right there. So This is very powerful, right? So here, Jesus hears that Lazarus is ill. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, and... He does something remarkable, right? First, he says, This illness does not lead to death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus is saying that this is all happening so that I will be glorified through this process. Now, I love this next verse. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. In the place where he was. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so he waited. Boy, that's remarkable. That's absolutely remarkable. Wouldn't the loving thing be to immediately go and and, and bring healing? Wouldn't the loving thing make sure that those, that Mary and Martha... Uh, and those others around them would not feel the pain and loss of Lazarus? Wouldn't that be the loving thing? To interject immediately as soon as possible so that no pain, no sorrow would be felt? According to Jesus, it isn't. No, for Jesus, what was the epitome of his love? It was revealing his glory to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You see, God's love is most clearly seen in not immediately jumping to our immediate needs and requests. 
but rather in working through them in such a way that the manifestation of his glory is greatly seen through whatever it is he, he requires us to go through. Everything that God requires us to go through is ultimately for the sake of the revelation of his glory. And in the revelation of his glory, it is there that we see the fullness of his love. When God reveals his glory, it is there that he is demonstrating his love for us because we get to see him and for who he is. And there's no greater display of God's love than to see him and as who he is. And so he waits. And then two days later, he finds out that Lazarus is, he knows in his heart that Lazarus has died. And so now he goes. Now the disciples don't know this. They think when he says he's fallen asleep, they think, oh, he's just fallen asleep. If that's the case, he'll be fine. He'll wake up. But Jesus knows he's died. But he knows that this death, death is only temporary. It's fascinating that in the New Testament, death is frequently represented as sleep. This is a common way of talking about death. And what this is ultimately meaning is the reason why that language is used is not because there's some kind of soul sleep or any other weird doctrine like that, but rather it is that death is not the end. Death is merely a passageway into something else. And so here is this glorious reality of Jesus talking about the temporal nature of Lazarus' death. Here, in this situation, he's talking about physical death. Uh, but ultimately, the realities that he will paint through Lazarus will be a picture of both what will happen to the saints physically and spiritually for those who trust in him. And so, nevertheless, he tells his disciples, we're going to go. And I love this little statement by Thomas, let us go that we may die with him. The reason why he says this is because the hostility towards Jesus has very much reached the point that the disciples are convinced that a trip to Jerusalem will result in Jesus' death. If they cannot talk him out of the trip, though, they were at least willing to die with him. So Thomas, that doubter that we so often criticize him to be, here's a man who's a faithful follower of Jesus who says, you know what? Well, if he's going to go die, let's go die with him. What a faithful and loyal brother Thomas was. Even in the midst of his struggles, which every one of the disciples doubted after Christ had died about regardless, regarding his resurrection. Here we see a better picture of Thomas that is often missed. The faithful disciple who says, let's go die with him. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had not been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So let's stop right there. Okay, so what we see here now, Jesus is coming. At this point, Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. So he is well beyond that point of return for anyone there. It's beyond that three-day period. Um, his body would have began to 
decompose at this point. And so no, that, that's the idea, right? So no way, we're not going to go in there. And I mean, it's, it's well good and over. Now, Martha and Mary hear that Jesus is coming. And in this response, we see two things that people often do in grief, right? Martha basically comes out and approaches the Lord. I mean, she goes after him. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. That's, that's the first group of people. The people who affront God, who, who, who confront him with their pain. God, if you would have acted, this would not have happened to me. God, where were you? I'm angry. I'm frustrated. You could have saved him. Where were you? And then there's the other person. There's Mary. Who stays back at the house. The person who stays distanced from God in the moment of pain. Who doesn't seek to go after him. Who simply sits in the sorrow. They don't act out in anger. They don't know what to do. They're left paralyzed by their frustrations, by their pain, by their heartbreak. And Jesus faithfully comes to both of them in their pain. But addressing Martha and her confrontations, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And then he tells her one of the most important truths in the world. Because she thinks he's talking about the corporate resurrection at the end, which all of the faithful um, kind of conservative Jews believed at this time. But Jesus says, no, 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 I, I am the resurrection and the life. That resurrection you're talking about, I'm it. I am the resurrection. I am the basis by which all people shall live. And whoever believes in me, though he die physically, yet shall live spiritually, right? Though he dies physically, he will live spiritually. And we know physically, he is the resurrection and life. And everyone who believes in him shall never die. So if you have a, a brother or sister in the Lord who's gone to be with him, and they died in faith, I want you to know today, they are as alive as it, they are more alive than they ever have been. They're not dead. They are alive because they are in Christ. Life of the believer does not end at death, but continues eternally as an endless life of fellowship with God. This is true for those who, like Lazarus, were in the tomb, as well for those who are still alive. And Martha shows this beautiful confession of faith. You are the Lord. You are the Christ, the Son of God, coming into the world. There's no doubt in Martha's heart who Jesus is. Verse 28, when she, had, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was greatly moved, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. 
But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Stop there. So here we see the interesting things happening here, right? Now the Lord summons Mary to him, the faithful Lord who meets people where they are. And he sees her sadness. And he sees the sadness of those around him. And in this moment, Jesus expresses real pain. Real heartbreak. Heartbreak over the pain and sorrow of those he loves. And heartbreak and anger, a righteous anger over death itself. A hatred for death and a hurt for his people. This is a real feeling here. When, when Christ took upon flesh, he took upon emotions. He took, so he took upon a deep sense of passion so that he could feel the full gambit of what we feel as humans. And because he has so wept and fell where we feel and, 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 and felt the pain and sorrows we feel, when we come to Christ who is our mediator, we have a God who doesn't just look at us as uh, disconnected but has a God who deeply knows because He has come and taken upon our place. He has taken upon our condition and felt it fully in every way except without sin. He never sinned, but He felt like we felt. He felt pain and sorrow. And I love what Spurgeon said. Because He wept, He can fully and completely one day Wipe away every one of our tears. And He will. He weeps. But notice the response. Some of the Jews say, Oh, how He loved Him, right? They, they, are, 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 they see His heart. They see a, a person of compassion, a Master who loves fully. And then they, uh, there are some others who doubt. Uh, you're telling me the person who uh, opened the eyes of the blind man could not have kept this man from dying? He couldn't have healed him? These questions are raised of what sort of power Jesus has and when he will choose to use it. Lazarus was allowed to die and the sisters to mourn in order that God's glory would be manifested so that Christ's love could be made fully known through the glory of who he is. This reality, though, is, is really starting to question him. But nevertheless, Jesus will act in a powerful way. Verse 38, Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by the time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. His, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What a powerful scene here of the Lord in powerful, sovereign, unbelievable resurrection and life reality brings Lazarus to life and has him come out. Now, it's important to note, Jesus here prays to the Father. 
But notice he prays so that everyone else can see. Why? They can see clearly the reality of who he is. He is the Son of God. Come to be the Messiah for the world. Come to be the resurrection and the life. And he prays aloud so that others can fully see who it is that that grants him the power to do this. This is no demonic power or anything like that. This is fully and, and completely the power of God itself being manifested through Jesus. And he says, Lazarus, come out. The dead cannot hear. What could Lazarus have done for himself? He could not make a choice whether or not he would come out. No. In that moment of of Christ speaking to him, God in divine power both brought life, full regeneration into the body of Lazarus, empowering him, strengthening him to stand up, come to full life, and to step out of that grave. And this is the reality, exactly what God does for us spiritually as well. The divine call that gives life to the dead is what God does for the spiritually dead though, and, and raises us to spiritual life. That's what Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 is all about. This is the effectual calling of God that when He speaks, things happen. When He sp- speaks, life comes into being. That is true for Lazarus from being made physically dead to physically alive. And it is true for us spiritually being made spiritually dead to spiritually alive by the word of God, which speaks to us and quickens us and and opens our eyes and moves upon our heart to come to life, to respond to the call given to us. Now we see that this will have a double result. Verse 45 Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. The Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest this year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish? He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, to a town called Ephraim, and where he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of Jews was at hand. And many went up from the country in Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so they might arrest him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so here we see that the work of God had a double result as it always does. Faith in some, resistance and unbelief in others. And so people began coming and telling the Sanhedrin about this. Now the Sanhedrin had the supreme religious authority in the land, and they had feared that Jesus' ministry was going to provoke a popular uprising. And so Caiaphas, this Sadducean son-in-law of Annas, who had been deposed as high priest by the Romans, had considerable influence over the religious leaders. And Caiaphas callously suggests that it is better to execute one person, even if they're innocent, if it secures an advantage for the nation, which shows he clearly has forgotten the message of Proverbs seventeen fifteen, 
But nevertheless, in his evil schemes and wicked words, he is actually prophesying the word of God that one man will indeed die so that the nation might not perish. In the purposes of God, Caiaphas unknowingly uttered a prophecy. It was a blessing that Jesus died because his death was necessary for the salvation, not only of Jews, but of the elect of the whole world. We see then that the growing hostility uh, continued to push Jesus out because it was not yet his time. And so he went to the wilderness often to, to kind of stay out of, uh, of the eyesight until the, the fullness of the time came for him to come forth and usher in what would be the final week of his life that we call Holy Week. As this went on, the, the Pharisees make it clear, whoever finds him is to report it so that they might arrest him. Things are about to get very real, very fast for Jesus. As the Passover approaches, Christ will prepare himself, moving into the Holy Week, to the triumphal entry, ultimately leading to Maundy Thursday with this constitution of the Lord's Supper, this great commandment to love one another, Good Friday where he will die at Calvary, Holy Saturday where he will go to the grave, liberating those in Abraham's bosom, declaring victory over the wicked. And then Sunday morning, he will rise in glory. And all who have been able to see that glory of his resurrection are those who have come under the full love of God. Because as we saw in this chapter, the love of God is most clearly seen in his revelation of his glory to those who didn't deserve it. Every time God gives you a glimpse of his glory, he's giving you a greater glimpse of his love. God bless.